0: I want to take a moment and just talk with you about the um, our Christmas Eve service that's coming up and just, uh, believe it or not, just a few weeks away. Um, if you've looked on the calendar... You'll notice that this year, Christmas Eve falls on a Saturday, and Christmas Day falls on a Sunday. And I've had questions from individuals asking, how, what are the services going to look like? With our, We typically, as a church, have a traditional one-hour Christmas Eve service that starts at 6 p.m., goes to 7 p.m., just trying to be mindful of family's commitments, as well as the time to gather as a church family. After much consideration with the other pastors and the board, we've decided to do things a bit different this year. Um, we're just going to use this weekend as a chance to continue to engage our community. And in a sense, what we've decided to do is to combine our Christmas Eve service and our Sunday morning service into one. Um, we recognize that Christmas Eve presents us with a unique opportunity to impact many from our community. Uh, we who would normally not attend church, that there are some who make plans to attend church uh, for Christmas Eve with family or friends or neighbor who may very well not step doors through a church any other time in the year. And so we've recognized that, and we want to take time to maximize that opportunity that we have as a church. So what we've decided to do as a leadership team is we've decided this this Christmas Eve, with Christmas Eve being on a, a Saturday, Christmas Day being on a Sunday, we've decided to combine the two into one and offer a weekend service on, on Saturday, December 24th at 5 p.m., so in addition to an earlier start time than our normal Christmas Eve service, we plan to go a little bit longer than our traditional one-hour service, and we plan to incorporate certain things that are very familiar to our Christmas Eve service, as well as incorporate some things that... Um, are part of our typical Sunday morning worship gathering. There's um, going to feature a very special State College Assembly Cafe before the Christmas Eve service begins. We've got some other special elements throughout the service and really a, a nice unique touch that will save us a surprise uh, for the end as you leave, um, leave out into the parking lot um, at the end of service for the Christmas Eve service. And just to help answer some questions, you might be asking yourself right now, you might be saying, wait, what? Are we canceling Sunday morning service for Christmas Day? And we haven't. What I'm just letting you know is that one weekend is going to be located at a different place uh, and a different place on your calendar than the normal weekend would. So we just recognize that with the number of, of outreach opportunities that we have had as a church into our community that we want to be able to do our best to minister to our community and to maximize the opportunity that God has given us. So just to summarize, it's not that we're not having a weekend service. We're just having it at a different time and day of the weekend than we normally would. 5 p.m. Christmas Eve, and it'll go from 5 till probably about 6.20, 6.30. Um, And then we plan to resume our normal weekend service schedule with Sundays at 10 a.m. beginning on New Year's Day. So I would encourage you to make plans to be with us for Christmas Eve at 5 p.m. Make plans to be with us for New Year's Day um, at 10 a.m. Let me tell you three things that you can do to be a part of this uh, Christmas Eve service. Number one, I would encourage you to invite people. We have a large volume of invite cards at the Welcome Center. Put some in your purse, put some in your wallet, put some in your bag, and carry them with you. I've had them in my wallet, and I've been handing them out and just inviting people. And I found that when when I... interact with someone, whether it be just over a service that's being provided, standing at the counter uh, or, or with a waiter, that when I give them the invite card and invite them, they're, they're taken aback. That Someone would pause and just interact with them and invite them to a Christmas Eve service. So grab some cards and invite individuals. Secondly, I would encourage you to pray. What I shared with our Wednesday night crowd as we spend time in worship and prayer, as I shared with them, my desire and my prayer for my life, for my family, and for our church family is that this is not just another Christmas season that comes and goes, but rather this is a Christmas season that there's a newness in our relationship with Christ and in our heart to understand the full impact of his love and his passion and his desire for our lives as well as for our community. And then the third thing, as I've mentioned, is you can attend. Make plans to be here uh, for a very special service. Well, I'm going to invite you to turn with me in your Bible to Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse number 27. Um, as you turn there, I'd mentioned this last week, but we, many times during the Christmas season, we will begin a, a new, or we'll really pause a series we're in, or we'll wrap up a series we're in, and we'll launch into a almost a mini-series, about a three-week series focused on Christmas and some of the things in the Christmas story. And this year, we're looking to do things a little bit different, looking to continue in our verse-by-verse um, journey through the gospel of Mark and continuing in our in our expectancy series. But help you with each passage that we're at, uh, link it into understanding the Christmas story and understanding God's passion and love for us um, and, and just recognizing all that God has in, in mind for our lives. So with that, we're going to look at Mark chapter 8 this morning, beginning in verse number 27. And we're going to look through verse 23. And if you'll notice, if you were with us last week, last week we had a, what we call our pastor's roundtable. Usually about once, sometimes twice a year, we'll have the the pastors gather together and we'll share together about a specific uh, passage. And last week we looked at verses 27 through 30, and this is a conversation Jesus is having with his disciples. They're standing there in, in a very religiously minded area, and he asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? And then he takes it and makes it personal with the disciples. Who do you say that I am? And we took time to to recognize as a pastoral team the importance of coming back to that question and continuing to to revisit that question, not in questioning Christ's lordship, but rather our application of his lordship into our lives and allowing him to truly be in control of everything. So let's look at this together. We'll revisit that passage for a few moments and then we'll, we'll move forward. Jesus and his disciples went on to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, On the way, he asked them, who do people say that I am? They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. But what about you? He asked, who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Messiah. Jesus warned them not to tell anyone about him. He then began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. This is often the case when we read a passage. If you've read in Scripture, if you've looked through the New Testament, hopefully you've been reading through the Gospel of Mark with us. From time to time, we'll encounter uh, the name of a region, the name of a city, and we'll read it. and And in our mind, it may not register very much. It may not stand out, and we just kind of move on from that and move on to the rest of the story. And if you've it's a passage you've read over a number of times, you may have a a verse or two or a word or two or or, that you've highlighted. And for the most part, that's what your mind goes to. You keep thinking about it, and. Details you can miss. When the story tells us in Mark chapter Mark chapter eight, verse twenty seven, that Jesus and his disciples went on the went on their way to the villages around Caesarea Philippi, it's actually very revealing. The city of Caesarea Philippi was a pagan city, a pagan region so Jesus and his disciples, his Jewish followers, are traveling through this region. They're traveling through a non-Jewish region, a a, pagan area, with their own gods, their own practices, their own religious customs. the, The city of Caesarea Philippi is a very interesting region, and it's very specific to this specific conversation that Jesus is having with his disciples. If you're familiar with the Old Testament and the story of Israel, you'll see that the Israelites and the story of, of, of their following God and walking through the desert and a and number of really trying to, to fulfill God's purposes through them, that they had a number of times where they wandered and they strayed and they didn't really necessarily stay true to their commitment to God. And if you're familiar with the, the story of the Israelites in the Old Testament, there's really one specific false God that continually trips up the nation of Israel. And that and that god is called Baal, B-A-A-L. That's one that you may be familiar, familiar with if you've read in the Old Testament. Well, this region of Caesarea Philippi was the center of one of the center areas for Baal worship. In Jesus' day, there would have still been at least 14 different temples to, this, to, the, to the God Baal in the area, and so it was a very big reminder, a very clear reminder of the world's religious ways and the world's religious systems. And for Jesus' disciples in this moment, they would have been given a very clear picture of the opportunities that the world and the culture offers, much from their own history of how there's easy substitutes for our commitment to Christ, Not only was the region of Caesarea Philippi known for it being the center of where where Baal worship and center for pagan worship, additionally, it was a city believed to have within its borders a, a cavern in which one of the Greek gods were born. They believed that the Greek god Pan was born in this region. If you're familiar with Greek mythology, the god Pan is thought to be their god of nature, and he has an upper torso of a man and a lower torso of an animal. And their belief is that this this pagan god, this false god would in in the Greek culture, is that this god lived among the hills, and he would run and travel among the hills, and he would sneak up on the shepherds, and he would scare them. That's where we get our English word panic from. Additionally, this region of Caesarea Philippi, not only was it known for having all of the, the temples from, from former Baal worship, as well as having the, the birthplace of a pagan god, but a third unique uh, feature to the city of Caesarea Philippi, or this region, is that it had a, the city had a cave, and it had a temple built over it or built by it, and this cave was believed to be the entrance to hell. It was literally called the Gates of Hell. And so Jesus is standing there with his disciples. He's standing in this religiously charged atmosphere, this religiously charged moment. And if you if you read the parallel account of this conversation that Matthew records of the same conversation, there's a, a conversation Jesus, or rather a declaration that Peter makes of Jesus being the Messiah. We have it in Mark. But it's accompanied by Jesus confirming Peter's declaration. And then Jesus says to Peter, he says, upon this confession, I will build my church in the gates of hell Will not prevail against it. A very clear picture, a very real picture in front of the disciples as Jesus is having this conversation. And we often will look at Jesus' words in Matthew where he tells Peter, The gates of hell will not, I'll I'll build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And we think about the spiritual forces of of the enemy coming against God's church in the present day and how the, the forces of the enemy will not overcome his church and his purposes. And that's very true. But I think in this moment when Jesus is talking with the disciples, he's making it very clear to them as well. Listen, everything, all of the world's systems, all of the world's belief systems, all of the world's religious ways that it will offer you will not overcome the truth that I'm going to present. It will never overcome the truth of my life and the gospel that's being shared. And he's giving his disciples this very clear picture, but it's in this religious backdrop and everything taking place in that moment as Jesus is talking with his disciples. And they're seeing these these former temples that were used for the worship of Baal. And they're seeing these the temple with the gates of hell that are there. And Jesus has all of this standing behind him. And then he asks the disciples, who does the world say I am? And then he makes it more personal and he says, and who do you say I am? In the midst of a, of a very plural culture and a very pluralistic society that just about any type of religious system could go, Jesus said, who do you say I am? And I can't help but look at this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples and this, this, this question that he poses to them. And I see that it's very symbolic, much for our day. It really is a picture of, I think, about our day and not only just the Christmas season, but in every season, that we live in a world that offers a number of religious solutions and religious ideas, and at at best, it will make Jesus and Christianity one of many different options. And in the midst of that, Jesus would ask his followers, he would ask you, who do you say that I am? The story is really a question, it really is a, a picture of spiritual blindness, if you'll look earlier in, in Mark chapter 8, the, the story just before the one we've read, we looked at this the day of bef- uh, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. Jesus comes and he heals a blind man. And he pulls the blind man aside and he says, Do you see clearly? And the man admitted that he didn't see clearly and that Jesus continued to heal him. But in one story, we have Jesus opening physical eyes, addressing and, and opening physical eyes. And in the story we've just read, what we're looking at this morning, Jesus is addressing spiritually blinded eyes. And I think this morning it's a picture and it's a reminder for us that if we are willing to allow God to continue to open our hearts and our eyes, that he will continue to reveal Jesus to us more and more for who he really is. It's understanding that in the midst of this Christmas season, in the midst of this time when our world, if if it's willing to accept it, is presented with such a clear picture of Jesus, and in our songs, and in our stories, and and just down to Christmas decorations, reminders of who Jesus is, that it's a reminder of not only the Christmas season, but really of some universal truths that I believe apply to every person in every season, not just during Christmas. But I believe the Christmas season can remind us of them. So I want to share these three with you quickly out of this story. And then this morning, we'll conclude our time with communion together. But think think, three things to consider, not only this Christmas season, but in every season of our lives when you interact with people and when you even examine your own life. First is this. Our world is enveloped in spiritual darkness. Our world is enveloped in spiritual darkness darkness. When you look in scripture, you'll see that it, describes, it talks about two different types of darkness, or at least two different types of darkness. There is physical darkness, which is the absence of natural light. This morning, if in this room we were to turn out every single light, every single Christmas light, every single monitor, turn off every phone, block over every door, we were to shut out all light, the only thing that you would see is physical darkness. And you might say, well, I couldn't see anything, it'd be too dark. That's exactly it. You would be seeing the absence of light, physical darkness. The Bible not only speaks of physical darkness, it also speaks of spiritual darkness. And at first glance, spiritual darkness is not as easy to identify as physical darkness. Where physical darkness is the absence of physical light, spiritual darkness is the absence of spiritual light. When the Bible speaks of darkness, it refers to both evil and ignorance. When it speaks of spiritual darkness, it speaks of individuals or a world enveloped in both evil and ignorance. A person or a world that is enveloped in spiritual darkness can see things physically just fine. You can interact with people day in and day out who can see things physically just fine and their physical effects will not show or reveal their their spiritual darkness within them or their spiritual blindness. They can see physically just fine, but they cannot see things spiritually. They are blind. The setting in which Jesus is just, we've just identified this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples and really all throughout the gospels is a very clear picture of individuals who are spiritually blind. Jesus is in front of them. He's performing miracles many times in front of these religious crowds, these individuals who claim to be followers of God. And Jesus is doing these incredible miracles giving these incredible teachings and making incredible statements about himself. Yet they, many of them can't see Jesus for anything other than being a good man or a good prophet at best. They're spiritually blind. The Bible tells us that spiritual blindness and spiritual darkness that that really it has its source. And, and second, in First Corinthians four four, it tells us, or rather, Second Corinthians four four, tells us that the devil is the source of spiritual blindness. That he loves to blind the minds of unbelievers from the light and the hope that the gospel brings in Jesus Christ. That he blinds their minds and envelops them in a spiritual darkness. That's why you can be talking with a loved one, with a family member, a friend or a coworker, and you can be talking with them and you can have conversations where you're talking with them about the need for God's love and understanding His passion for them and the need for forgiveness and the need for Christ in their lives, and that person can seem oblivious to the reality of where they're at. They can seem oblivious to their need because they're spiritually blind. Physically blind, a person is oblivious to the dangers that are around them and they may set their hand on a hot stove and not even know it's a hot stove until the pain is there and in other things. They may be walking towards a cliff. If there's a physically blind person on stage this morning, someone would need to step and stop and, and protect them from walking off the cliff because they can't see the danger they're in. A person who is spiritually blind cannot see the spiritual danger and the spiritual predicament that they're in. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, the, the God of this world blinds the minds of unbelievers from the light of the gospel. 1 Corinthians 1.18 tells us that the gospel, it says the gospel is foolishness to those who are perishing, that he so the enemy of, the, of, the, of our souls so effectively blinds the minds of those who do not know Christ that the, the message of Christ and the gospel can even come across as mere foolishness, that it doesn't make sense. From time to time, I will hear with someone who talks about a conversation they'll have with a family member, and that family member will say to them how they don't understand that they can believe what they believe, or go to church as much as they do, or read the Bible like they do, or believe the Bible like they do, that it makes no sense, it seems foolish to them. That is why you might be sitting here this morning and you see people engaging in worship and engaging in scripture and taking notes in scripture and you're sitting through the service and you're just numb to it and you're thinking, I've, I've heard this message before and it means it's no different to me or it makes no sense that it's, it's nonsense. It's because the Bible says that even in this moment, you could be sitting here and you're spiritually blind. You're spiritually blind to the reality of your need for Jesus Christ. When I picture this setting and this conversation that's taking place and this conversation Jesus is having with his disciples and the spiritual blindness that Jesus is addressing, I cannot help but picture the Christmas season this time of year and really the Christmas season every year. That there is no other season on the calendar in our world that presents us with a picture of Jesus through symbols and stories and reminders, even down to many of the Christmas carols that will be sung and played in the stores, that many of them reveal and point to our hope in Jesus Christ. Yet so many are so blind and oblivious to the truth that they're celebrating because we live in a world that is enveloped in spiritual darkness, and those in spiritual darkness are spiritually blind. Secondly, Jesus reminds us in this story that Jesus Christ is the only solution for the spiritually blind. Jesus Christ is the only solution for those who are spiritually blind. He speaks of this in Mark chapter 8 beginning in verse 31 through 32 when he describes his life and his death and his resurrection. A book that I've started reading this Christmas season by Christian author and pastor, he's in New York City, is Timothy Keller, and just has a really, God has gifted him with a really unique way of ministering to to unbelievers and being able to present the gospel in a very powerful way. And in his book, Hidden Christmas, he writes of a time when he read a New York Times uh, writer in the paper and in a column that he had written several Christmases ago. And in it in this article the author penned the meaning of Christmas is that love will triumph and that we will be able to put together a world of a world of unity and peace what the what the writer was conveying that that mankind has light within itself that mankind has hope within himself that we are the ones who can dispel the darkness of the world as long as we work together, love more, have more peace, work to be more unified. But friends, the gospel gives us a very different picture. The gospel paints a very different picture of man's condition. Man does not have the solution in himself. Man does not have the answer within himself. You do not have the answer within yourself. Ephesians chapter 4 verse 8 says, doesn't only say that you are, if you're apart from Christ, not only are you in darkness, it says you are darkness. That man does not have the answer within himself. In the gospel of Mark, we've already seen how people come to Jesus and they recognize that he is the solution for physically blind eyes. But the greater reality and the greater picture that we're given all throughout the Gospels and all throughout Christ's teaching and all throughout the Scripture verse by verse reminds us that Jesus is the solution for those who are spiritually blind. With natural darkness, the solution to address it is to turn on a light that illuminates. The same is true for addressing spiritual blindness, to turn on a spiritual light, which the Bible says Jesus did in his coming. In John 8:12 Jesus says I am the light of the world whoever follows me will never walk in darkness See when we read the Christmas story we have to remind ourselves and remember that what we read in the gospel accounts of Matthew and the gospel accounts of Luke where the Christmas narratives are found is not the beginning of God's working in humanity but rather it's the coming of his working into humanity That it's not the beginning point of God's care and his love and his passion for all of humanity. Look with me in Isaiah chapter 9. If you have your Bible with me in Isaiah chapter 9. Speaking of the Christmas story, this passage written over 700 years before Christ came. In Isaiah chapter 9, beginning in verse 2. And if you've turned there in your Bible, you you can even look in Isaiah 8.22. Describing the earth, it says, "...they will look towards the earth and see only distress and darkness and fearful gloom, and they will be thrust into utter darkness, that the earth sits in darkness, in spiritual darkness. But then Isaiah 9 verse 2 says, people, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. It speaks of Jesus being the light that has come, that it describes the world as living in deep darkness, and Jesus is the light that is turned on for them. If you've ever gotten up in the middle of the night and you're maneuvering your way to the bathroom or to the sink or to the, to wherever you may need to be going and you have not turned on a light and it's completely dark, you realize that there are stumbling blocks in the way and you're trying to navigate your, your way through the darkness. And then someone immediately flips on the light for you and things immediately are illuminated so that you can see clearly. You can see clearly where you're going. You can see clearly where the obstacles are. You can see clearly where the dangers are. That's what the Bible says Jesus does for those who are spiritually blind. That he he is the light that illuminates the darkness in our hearts and in our minds. That he opens our eyes spiritually and gives us light to see. Light to see our life as he sees it. Light to see our choices as he sees them. Light to see our family as he sees it. Light to see our need as he sees it. Light to see our spiritual condition as he sees it. The New Testament continues to tell us and remind us that Jesus is the light of the world. In John chapter 1 verses 4 and 5, he says this. It says, In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in darkness, but darkness has not understood it. In verse number 9, it continues on and it says that Jesus is the true light that gives light to everyone. You see, friends, this morning, as you're sitting here, the root issue of all humanity is not that there are not, en- not enough, is not that there are any number of wrongs or injustices that need to be made right, or that we need to work together to make peace. The root issue that is that we are not right with God. That in our own condition, you are not right with God that you have a desperate need for Jesus Christ. And until you call out to him to be your savior, that you are still wrapped in darkness and you're still mind, your mind is still covered in a darkness that does not see God as he truly desires for it to be seen. Someone has once said that the best way to resolve conflict is to recognize your part in it. And that's what God says he did for us in scripture. He sent his son as a light to, to deal with our part of the issue to shine with freedom and hope and life for all who choose to place their faith in him in mark chapter 8 the story we're reading in mark chapter 8 verse 32 it says that jesus talking to his disciples it says that he spoke plainly to them in other words he made it very clear he he exposed it. he eliminated he made it very clear And he made it very clear to all who were listening. In fact, if you look later in the story that Jesus, when he rebukes Peter, it says he looks at his disciples and speaks to them. And even later, we'll look at next week when he continues in this conversation, as he's talking to his disciples, he calls the crowds to him to talk to them. He was making it clear to everyone that he was the light, that he was the answer, that he was the hope, that he was the visible manifestation of God's love for humanity. See, one of the the greatest things that I love about the Christmas season is all the lights. The lights are up everywhere. You'll see lights on the stage. You'll see lights on the tree. Most homes you'll see Christmas lights on at some point and at some level. But I love all the lights everywhere. And those lights are there not just to make things bright, but as a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world that Jesus is the only hope for all mankind, that he is the light that has come, that he is the only solution for blind eyes and for the hearts of everyone, that he's the solution for you, he's the solution for your family, he's the solution for all who place their faith in him. And friends, lastly, the last thing that we can see from Christ's instruction to his disciples in this, this story is that once your eyes have been opened spiritually, expect God to keep opening them that once your eyes have been opened, expect him to continue to open them. God's working of opening our eyes spiritually is not a one-time event. It's not just coming to him once, responding to him once, and then, and then that's it. But rather, it's a continual working that he does in our lives. If you look in the story in, in Mark chapter 8, beginning in verse 29 and 30, Jesus has this conversation with, with Peter specifically. And Peter's the one who answers this question. And 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 Peter says, you're the Messiah. And he goes on on to, to declare who Jesus is. And in Matthew's account, Jesus tells Peter, he identifies for Peter. He says, this is not truth that you know on your own. This is something that God has revealed to you, the Father has granted to you. He made it clear that God was continuing to reveal to Peter who he was. That God had opened his eyes. And then it says it goes on to say that from that time forward, Jesus continued to expand their understanding and to open their eyes to see and understand who he was even more. And that even included Jesus rebuking Peter. That he continued to open his eyes. And that reminds me that God's desire is to continue to open our eyes and our hearts and our understanding to more and more of who Jesus is and all that he desires to do in our lives He always wants to do more. He always wants to reveal more, to open our eyes and our understanding to an entirely new way of walking with him and experiencing him in relationship. And friends, this morning, that doesn't matter how long or how short your relationship with Christ has been. Perhaps you made a decision to follow Christ during our time of worship. Perhaps you're here and you've been a follower of Christ for a number of years. That he is continually working to reveal himself to us more and to open our eyes even more. That it really, in this life, it doesn't end until we enter heaven, until we step into heaven with him. And it's at this point that my mind goes back to the story we referenced earlier, the one that took place in Mark chapter 8, just before the passage we're looking at, where Jesus opened man's eyes who are physically blind, And I believe that Peter's reaction to Jesus is really a spiritual picture of the physical reality that Jesus had dealt with with this man earlier. If you recount the story that Jesus heals this man in verses 24 and 25, and he heals him, he touches him, but he asks the man, he says, what do you see? And the man had to come to a place to admit that he didn't see things clearly as he should. He said that he saw people walking around his trees. And so he was willing to confess his need for, God to, for Jesus to continue to open his eyes. And when Jesus touched him, he continued to do a work in his life. And I see that with Peter. This continued opening and revealing of his eyes to see who Jesus is. But he had to see his need for Jesus to continue to open his eyes. And that's a reminder for you and for me that God's continued desire in my life and your life and in every life is to continue to open our eyes with a greater understanding and a greater clarity and greater insight, that it's a lifelong work that he does in us through his spirit. And I think with that, I'm reminded that just because I see clearly in one place, it doesn't mean that I see clearly in every place. Just because you see clearly in one place doesn't mean you necessarily see clearly in every place but rather to the continued allowing Him to work and reveal and do, a, do His work in our hearts and our lives. I want to share with you one last passage this morning, um, and that is in 1 Corinthians. If you'll turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This just speaks to this continued work of His revealing in our lives. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, beginning in verse number 9. It says this, However, as it is written... What no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love Him. These are the things God has revealed to us by His spirit. I remember growing up hearing this passage uh, taught and, and talked about, and many times individuals would would speak of this passage and they talk about heaven. And one day it was, it was this great revealing that was going to come in heaven, and, and there's truth to that. That really is the secondary application to this passage. What he's speaking of is right now. The application is right now in our hearts and in our lives and in your life and in my life that through the working of God's Spirit that He continues to open our hearts and open our minds to reveal more and more of who He is in us and through us so that we can continue in a dark world to continue to walk with greater clarity and understanding of who Jesus is in us so that Jesus' life can continue to be revealed through us. So friends, as we go through the Christmas season This year, in the next, next couple of weeks, and as we continue to gather together and continue to worship together and continue to pray together. Don't just go through it as another Christmas season, but pray that your heart would be open to the Holy Spirit's working, to your eyes and your heart being open to see Jesus more. And pray that he would use this season to open our hearts and our eyes so that we can clearly know the hope that we have in Jesus Christ. That with every light that you see through this Christmas season, whether it be in this church or in the community or on the trees on the way out at night from Wednesday nights in our parking lot or in your home, that as you see the different lights around, let every single light remind you that Jesus is the light of the world and that the light has come to dispel darkness. That he does it in our lives and he intends to do it in our world as we continue to look to him in all things. I'm going to invite the men and women who are going to assist us in communion this morning to slip to the back, just to begin to ready themselves. As we receive communion this morning, in just a moment you'll receive the, the cup and you'll receive the piece of bread, both symbols of Christ's death and resurrection on our behalf. And I'll come back and give instruction on that in just a moment. But friends, if you're here this morning and you have yet to place your faith in Jesus Christ, really this entire service has been an opportunity presented in front of you to call out to Jesus Christ, to recognize your need for him. The Bible says to experience the the light that Jesus offers us, that it begins with a step of repentance, a step of repentance and a step of faith. Recognizing in faith that Christ has taken care of our sin, that he's taken the initiative to restore our relationship with God, but that the response of that is a step of repentance. Repentance is turning away from where we've been, who, we've ought, who we are, what we've done. That it's a changing of our minds, that it's a willingness to agree with how God sees our sin, to agree with how he sees our need for him. And that is this morning as you're sitting there and you want to make that decision to follow Jesus Christ, I would encourage you right where you're at, Take time to open your heart and begin to pray just a simple prayer. You might begin to just call out and say, Jesus, help. Jesus, I need you. And as you're from a heart cry to God, recognizing your need for Jesus Christ, that he'll begin to come and he'll begin to wash away all your past. And he'll deal with all of your sin. And you'll begin to experience the light and the hope that only Jesus can bring into your life.